it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 273. Before we dive into the show, I have a little quick message for everyone. We are doing a listener survey, which is to help us get to know you, our listeners, your interests, and what you guys think of the show. So please support us at the podcast by taking our short questionnaire. You can find it at surveymonkey.com backslash r backslash airwave. It'll only take a few minutes and your feedback will help us improve the show and what we present to you as well as advertising and everything else. For your time, we are willing to give out, we're going to be giving out a drawing for a $500 Amazon gift card. This will be through our podcast host, Airwave Media. So please check out the surveymonkey.com backslash R backslash Airwave or you can check it out on the show notes. So with that done, let's go ahead and kind of dive into the show. So we're going to answer some great listener questions that we got recently. Uh, the first one is concerning the situation, the banking situation with Silicon Valley Bank or SBB and kind of what our thoughts are on that as well as just the whole banking situation that's really dominated the news over the last few weeks. So Andrew, I guess I'll, I'll let you take first swing. Sounds good. I mean, I feel that embedded in this question is a different question. I will answer the original question. Don't worry. But I just want to say as an individual investor, you, Dave, we were talking about this before, you don't have to have an opinion on everything. And actually, the less opinions you have on things that are going around in, in the finance world, probably the better your performance will be. And so to be a good investor, you don't have to know what's the Fed going to do next month? Or are we going into a recession? Or whatever the clickbait title is. Because as long as you're investing in a group of companies and the economy grows, 
your investments will grow along with them. And that's really what's important. You know, I have a couple investments in a couple of banks. I own Bank of America, I own JP Morgan. So obviously I have thoughts on what's been going on lately, but I don't feel like I have anything that's a special insight. And it certainly hasn't changed my philosophy on owning those stocks, but I'm happy to share it. What about you? I'm kind of of the same ilk. And I think the idea that you don't have to have an opinion or know everything about everything is really spot on. And it kind of goes to that idea of operating within your circle of competence and operating around the areas that you feel comfortable and know something. I didn't stay at a Holiday Inn Express, so I don't know everything. For those of you who remember that commercial from way back when, I think having an opinion about things is is great, but you don't have to have an opinion about everything and know everything about everything. I have spent a fair amount of time playing around with the whole banking world and the finances and financials because it's something that interests me. And so I understand what happened at Silicon Valley Bank to a certain extent, but I haven't really dived into it deeply because it just it doesn't concern me. And it's not something that really affects what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, as well as the companies that I do invest in. I own Ally Bank. I also own JP Morgan, and I also own Wells Fargo. Uh, lots of Wells Fargo, unfortunately, but uh, that's a whole other conversation. But the I guess my point with all that is that even though you may understand the ins and outs of it, it's going to be very complicated. And if you're a newer investor, diving into something like that, unless you really, really, really want to know, is really going to take you down a very deep and very complicated rabbit hole. Uh, investing in banks and insurance companies and other of that like involves understanding accounting very deeply. It involves looking at the balance sheet very deeply. And it involves speaking a different language because there are things like the the SETI ratio and the efficiency ratios, which are things you do not have to worry about if you invest in Microsoft, for example. So that being said, I think it's important to understand these things and know these things. But as far as how it affects your overall performance in the stock market and your day-to-day life, it's just not something that's really you need to know. And I think to Andrew's point, you know, knowing what the Fed's going to do, you know, understanding who's going to win the March Madness. I mean, those things don't really impact our investing on a day-to-day basis. And it's a lot of it's clickbait and a lot of it is really get you to react to something and make a decision one way or the other. And if you're really, really curious about these things, there are lots of other great financial podcasts out there, like our friends Braden Simone at the Canadian Investor Podcast recently did an episode about what happened at Silicon Valley Bank. And so that if you really want to know, you can listen to them and they'll talk more deeply about it. But for Andrew and I, it's just not, we'd rather just focus on things that we can control and things that are going to be useful for us. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next question. Let's move beyond banks. By the way, Braden and Simone did a great job with breaking that down. So just an FYI. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. 
Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Here's the next question. I found you online and listened to your podcast. It is very enlightening. I am about to embark on the dividend journey following your recipe. I am wondering when you realize that you have invested enough in one particular stock before moving on to another as you build your portfolio. Uh, This is a great question. So, Andrew, what are your thoughts on this? So, when you're building a portfolio, I think it's important to to have a couple key principles. Uh, We can all build our own personal portfolio and it can all look many different ways. But when you build a portfolio, take it back to the basics. What's important? Remember, we're building this for the long term because nobody can guess what the stock market's going to do tomorrow. But we know the economy is going to grow. That's what we believe in. So over the long term, our investments will do good. So you're going to put these investments, you're going to hold them for a long time. That's the goal. Number two, you're going to diversify, which means I might love my Apple iPhone and think Apple's the greatest thing ever, but I'm not going to put all of my money in Apple stock. Because even if I'm right, that was bad risk management. You don't want to put all your eggs in one basket because no company, no single company is immune from the realities of capitalism. No single person's immune from the realities of living on this earth. So you spread it out. So if you're doing these things, right, you're the last thing would be dollar cost averaging. Try to put the same amount every single month because that's how you get around the whole problem of trying to market time. It's impossible to time the market. And so if you're not dollar cost averaging, that's basically what you are doing. So instead, if you dollar cost average, you're putting money into the market all the time. Over the long term, that's how you beat market timing. So with those three kind of pillars in place, diversification, long-term investing, and dollar cost averaging, ask yourself, okay, how do I do that? So for the individual investor, probably the easiest way I can think of is to build a portfolio whether it's 15, 20, 25, 30, whatever you're comfortable with, of stocks. And how do you do that? Well, I kind of go back to how I did it with the e-leather. 
when I first started that out and it was just a new stock every month. And then as the months go on, you give it like a couple of years and you're basically have full diversification. So that's one way you can do it. You could just buy an index fund and get instant diversification in that way. But if you're buying individual stocks, buy until you're fully diversified and then you can obsess endlessly about how to optimize after that. But I would start by getting diversified, but not necessarily doing it too fast too. Like I like the idea. And the reason I say that, and I've said this a lot, but the reason I say that is like, let's say I wanted to diversify today, right? I just wanted to buy 20 stocks. Well, I can't tell you what great opportunities are in 20 stocks. It's hard enough to find one at any given time. Just to say this is the best opportunity today. So that's why, you know, to me, it's build this over time. Because if you're going to be investing for 20 years, what's the two-year ramp to build up your diversification? That's how I see it. Yeah, that's how I see it too. Can we back up for just a second and maybe people that are newer to the show kind of explain the idea of diversification and what exactly that is? Yeah, basically diversification. I guess the easiest way to think of it is you're splitting your money up, whether that's equally or or in chunks. But you're buying multiple stocks so that, again, if anything bad happens to any one company, you're not absolutely crushed by that happening. I've heard people recommend 10 stocks. I've heard people recommend 20 stocks. 25 to 30 is, is another common range. As long as you're you know splitting it up so you're not all in one industry or all in one company, then that's how you get diversification. And so it helps you more depend on the growth of the economy instead of the growth of any one company because companies do fail. And so you try to avoid against that. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, and the different sectors in different industries can struggle from time to time. Like right now, for example, software as a service type companies have been on the struggle bus over the last year plus, whereas a few years ago, they were the cat's meow. Everybody wanted them. So it can go in spurts and having a splitting up your portfolio into different buckets can help you mitigate that risk and reduce the long-term effects of some of those things. And that's actually something that I'm struggling with right now with my portfolio is I got too concentrated into payments slash financials with different kinds of you know insurance companies, banks, fintechs, all those kinds of things. And so now I'm trying to work towards this kind of idea of diversifying my portfolio better. And I'm actually using a lot of the picks that Andrew has worked through to help me do that because his focus is not on those. And so because of that, he's found some great companies outside of that area that are great investments that I've been working in. It's something we were actually talking about off air earlier was how can I kind of balance some of the great new ones he's picking versus the ones I already have in the portfolio and make sure that I build them up enough. And so those are ongoing things. And kind of like he said, you know, obsessing about the, how you want to optimize your portfolio. You know, if you want to have 10% in this one and 4% in this one and 6% in this one and 3% in this one, those are fun games that you can play once you get to, you know, whatever you feel comfortable owning. For me, it's going to be in 20 to 25 range. That's what I feel like I can manage and keep track of. And right now I have about 17. So I still have a little bit of ways to go, 
but it's going to be it's going to be fun. But it's a great question. I think a lot of people worry or sometimes they focus so much on the companies that they forget that they have to manage, you know, not having 25% in one and 2% in another that they have to kind of meld that out a little bit. I mean, to each his own, I guess is a good way of putting it, but for me it's better to have a little more diversification and a little more spread out, but there is no hard and fast answer to this question. I think it depends on what your total amount of companies you want to own. And then once you get there kind of endlessly obsessing about optimizing the percentages that you want to have a great rule of thumb that I came across recently. I can't remember if Andrew told me this little tidbit or if I read it somewhere, but let the winners decide what the portfolio percentage would be. So if you invest in a company, let's say it becomes 2% of your portfolio. And then because the company does so amazing that it becomes 10%, that's an awesome place to be because it's, you know, it's done so well that it's grown to be a bigger portion of your portfolio. And those are fun things to see. So I hope that helps answer your question. And just remember, try to diversify as you get up to the total number you want, and then you can start worrying about percentages of of allocation from there. And I think that'll get you a long ways to where you want to go. All right. So the next question. So we have, hi, Andrew. Uh, I just purchased your monthly e-letter. Thanks for all your insights and help as a beginner like me to get focused on retirement and investing. One question I have is how you perceive your portfolio's performance against the S&P 500. This stood out to me as yours is behind the index. I'm mainly asking because I want to be the most wise with my money to ensure it grows best. From what I'm seeing, shouldn't I invest in the S&P over your picks? I ask this with the utmost respect and just trying to better understand. Kind regards, Noah. So, Andrew, I'm going to let you take first stab at this. Yeah, it's a great question. So to give context to the question, I started the newsletter in October 2014. And again, it's tracked a real money portfolio. And so throughout the years, it has outperformed the S&P 500 and underperformed the S&P 500. And so where we stand today, March 2023, if you were to start investing $150 a month at the inception of the newsletter, which was October 2014, and you were to do that in the S&P 500, and you're also to do it in the e-leather, you would have more money in your S&P 500 than in the e-leather today. So what happened there? So I look at the evolution of the e-leather and the types of companies that were in there. And so starting out, if you look at the very beginning, it was very much a cigar butt kind of thing, trying to find stocks that were very, very statistically cheap. And I did that for probably six years, pretty much up to the pandemic, trying to get the best of both worlds where, you know, you have the Buffett approach of holding something for a very long time and picking something that's really statistically cheap. And I found that I performed better when I would not hold for a long time, buy and sell quickly. But my psychology as an investor is I feel better about holding something for a long time and letting the company do the work. So at a certain point, I realized that that's the way I want to go. And the portfolio started to change into better quality names and less statistically cheap names. And so as that evolution has happened, the performance has improved. But 
there were some kind of talking about the diversification again. The portfolio had some very concentrated positions, 20%, 25%. Statistically cheap companies that weren't the best companies that ended up really hurting the long-term performance of the portfolio. So obviously, I wouldn't be selling the newsletter if I thought that your money was better spent in the S&P versus the newsletter. But that's where the portfolio has been, and that's where it's going. It's more focus on company moats, what's the best company to buy here. It's still going to be cheap based on the number. Not cheap's not the right word. It's, it's going to be a fair price based on the numbers, but it's not going to be about buying the most dirt cheap companies and trying to hold those for long term because that didn't end up well. And I, th- I think the thing that I'm kind of hearing is that like Warren Buffett, you kind of went through an evolution in how you kind of invest. Value investing is still important, but it's more the way that Warren does it today versus the way that he did it early on with Ben Graham and his early investing was very much the cigar butt, turn and burn, buy cheap, sell it when it gets to fair value and move on to the next thing and very statistically driven. And I guess it it feels like to me, you've gone more the way of the numbers are, are very important still, but qualitative is becoming important as well, or even maybe not as important, but equally as important as the numbers were. Whereas five, six years ago, we I don't think we could have said that. Yeah, that's a very fair way to do it. So how was the portfolio done kind of since you've made the change? You know, to me it, it looks like, you know, a completely different type of portfolio than it was even three years ago. Yeah. Well, from the behind the scenes standpoint, I got you involved, which has helped immensely because we've sorted through so many big portfolio decisions together versus me having to do it myself. And so you could track that back to to that period. And it has done it has beaten the S P on a one year and two year basis and is closing in on being it on a three year basis. So you know, it's just a couple of years, so you can't make any big conclusions from it, but it does appear to be working now using this approach versus the strictly quant approach. Yeah, exactly. But I think the moving away from the quant to more of a mix of qualities, I think also doesn't take away from the fact that you're still trying to find companies that are selling for a fair value or less than a fair value. The dividends are still important, critically important. We're not buying anything that doesn't have a dividend. And trying to hold for a long time is still the main focus of the portfolio. It's just that the quality of analysis changed and are taking into more experience and more factors and that impact what you buy and what you sell. And that's exactly what Warren Buffett has done. And as someone who did not beat the S&P 500 the last two years, uh, personally, you know, I know what a feat that is to do. It's not an easy thing to do. And I applaud you for all the changes that you've made. And I know it hasn't been easy. Yeah, it definitely hasn't. But I feel like investors have to figure out what are you most comfortable doing and sticking to that. If the numbers bring you comfort, maybe a quant's better. If holding for the long term is better, maybe a little bit more quality. Those are good decisions to make and you don't have to make them all at once, but I think moving in that direction over the long term can do really great things for your results. 
I totally agree. And I, I think the other thing that I take away from what I've seen of your evolution is that this is the, the idea that you're going to start investing one way and finish the game ending the same way, I don't think is a realistic idea because the more people experience, the more wisdom they gather, the more times that they do something, naturally things are going to morph and, and evolve. And you'll find things that work really well, and then you'll find things that won't work really well, and you're able to more quickly sort through the poor choices versus the better choices, and your selection process just gets a little bit better. And I think that it becomes not easier, but it does. It becomes easier with more repetitions to find the good from the bad. And I think in any sphere, but particularly in investing, and if you look at any of the great investors through the years, all of them have kind of evolved through the years. And it's just, I think it's just a natural process. And so I applaud you for doing that. I know, again, I know it hasn't been easy. Thanks. You're welcome. All right. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our conversation for today. I wanted to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those fantastic questions. Those are great. Please keep them coming. We hope you guys enjoy our conversation and get some good information and takeaways from all this. Uh, before I sign off, I need to remind you again, uh, please support the podcast, support us by taking a short listener questionnaire at surveymonkey.com backslash r backslash airwave or click on the link in the episode show notes. And with that, I will go ahead and wrap us up. You guys go out there and invest with the margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.